Welcome to Never Marry in Mitford, a podcast about pop culture from the past. I'm Sarah. And I'm Amelia. And this episode, we're going to be talking about the TV programme Absolutely Fabulous and Minju Kim from Netflix's Next in Fashion. We do this project from our bedrooms over Zoom and Skype. We don't earn any money from it, but it would mean the world to us if you would leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that more people can find us. Go now, do it now. Write about what you like about the podcast. Absolutely Fabulous is a TV show from the 90s created by British comedian Jennifer Saunders. The show stars Saunders as Adina Monsoon, a chain-smoking fashion PR who lives with her long-suffering daughter, Safi. Eddie's best friend is Patsy Stone, a fashion magazine director and played by Joanna Lumley. Together, Eddie and Patsy take drugs, perform stress at work and argue with Eddie's daughter, Safi. So we're talking about this because I watched all of AbFab at the beginning of lockdown. I think they just put it all on Netflix. And I was really surprised because I was expecting it to be like I remember the theme tune on like a Friday night playing on BBC Two and my mum and dad like roaring with laughter at it. And I always thought like, oh, it'll be a bit naff. It'll be a bit the jokes will have dated. It'll all be like Kate Moss references and like 90s Tatler references that I don't really understand and were funny at the time and aren't funny now. And I was so surprised at how much I loved it. it. There are jokes in it which are kind of dated, especially like the fat jokes that that Safi and Eddie kind of jibe at each other. But it holds up as such an amazing comedy about women being silly in the best way possible and drinking champagne and poking fun at people who drink champagne and have champagne lunches and think they're actually doing work when they're not. And I absolutely loved it Patsy Stone is like I don't know what I thought that performance from Joanna Lumley was going to be sort of like this panto villain kind of thing and actually she's such a vulnerable amazing funny silly like Bambi on ice kind of character and I just it's completely changed how I think of Joanna Lumley I think she's absolutely incredible in Abfab and I'm so glad that I watched it and Amelia you were watching it as well weren't you yeah, I, well, so I watched it a lot as a child, so probably not hugely appropriate, but I, I started, so I would watch the odd episode here and there, but I'd never seen, never sat down and watched a complete series. So I have done that recently. I've watched the first two series, and according to my mum, those are the best two, so I'm kind of <laughs> sticking with that. It was sort of ubiquitous, I guess, for a long time. Like people would just say things like, "Oh yeah,", yeah. about being like, "Oh, being Patsy," but like, "Which one are you, Patsy or Eddie?" Or like that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, it was always one of those things that sort of um, it was just there. And you, like we 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 say things in the house. We you, if you have champagne, it's always like, "Oh, it's you've got to have folly or whatever." Yeah, yeah. And you can't pronounce Christian Lacroix normally. Like you have to <laughs> say like, "It's Lacroix, darling. It's Lacroix. Is it Lacroix? Lacroix. It's like an exhale, isn't it, Lacroix? Yeah, <laughs> like when Eddie gets the earrings for her birthday, she's like, oh, they're Lacroix, they're Lacroix. She's like, I like them if they're Lacroix. And it's that kind of, um, yeah, I guess it was also one of those things that when you watch it, especially if you watch it when you're younger, you sort of assume that that's what work is going to be like. Yeah, yeah. Work and you're like, this isn't as fun as they promised. Like, no. Yeah, and I think it does sort of show a world that doesn't exist anymore if it yeah. ever really existed in this the, I think the thing that shocks me the most is we're so used now to not seeing people smoking indoors yes like, yes the constant cigarettes in the office you're like oh my god it's so weird and like what well, there's an episode in the second series where 
um, Eddie's hurt her foot and she has to go into hospital. So she goes to the fancy like private healthcare hospital. And the nurses walk in and they, they like, Patsy buys two packs of cigarettes off them, like in the hospital. It's mad. And you just think, oh my God, what a weird concept. Yeah. That A, you're allowed to smoke inside at all. And B, the nurses will literally sell you cigarettes. And that's just like a small part of that world that doesn't exist. But it's the sort of the image that you most associate, like you most associate Avfab with that picture. There's the famous one that everybody always uses of the two of them. And especially Patsy's got like the bottle of champagne in one hand, mm. the cigarette, and then the meter high hair and the big black sunglasses. And that's the image that you sort of, that you always have of them. And it's not, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that like people don't smoke anymore or any, anything like that, but it's just that that the sort of the glamour, I guess, that was associated with that kind of behaviour, it perhaps isn't there anymore either. And also your point about the cigarettes, I thought that was a joke about private healthcare, that they were willing to sell them anything and then make money off anything. And these women who paid for health, private healthcare were willing to pay for anything even if it was it may well it, yeah it might well be because i don't know if like you but I, i'm pretty sure that even in like nhs hospitals you could go perhaps it wouldn't have turned up on a trolley but you could definitely go and buy cigarettes from the shop it, or you know would be easily and then be able to smoke them in the hospital <laughs> it's like, it's it is mad but i think the sort of as well going on on more to the sort of the the idea of like these women who are in charge of things but they're not really don't really do anything like patsy you, Nobody, you don't know what Patsy does until really end yeah, yeah. the first series. Like, nobody has a clue what her job is. And then when she goes to work, she has to, like, they go to the building and they're like, are you sure this is the right building? And she's like, yeah, no, I think they've just cleaned the front of the building. <laughs> and they have to go to reception and get a list of where she sits in her office and what floor, because it's been so long since she's been in that she doesn't remember where her desk is anymore. Yeah. And it's not even in the world like now where we all have to work from home. It's like everybody would have gone to the you go to the office and yeah and she turns up and she's got like flowers all over her all over her office from just because she hasn't been in for such a long time yeah um, and people have been then, sending her flowers for not doing her job <laughs> yeah and then the, her editor um magda who's played by kathy burke she's another one who's like again sort of feeding into this champagne lunch thing she's always like i've got three champagne lunches and i have to get to there <laughs> by two and it's always like i want to do this and this and this in 10 minutes go and it's like she's Again, I don't know if it's sort of, it, it, it's all a lot of buzzwordy things. And she talks in these weird, um, she sort of says all these really strange headlines of like, right, this is what we're going to do. This is what yeah, we're going to yeah. do. This is what we're going to do. And then like the other two, um, oh, I can't remember their names, but the other two that work with uh, Patsy. They're just, just like say things parodies like, of Sloan's, aren't they, from the 90s? Yeah, and it's like, you know what's a really lovely idea? We should do, like somebody, my friend said that chairs are really important. <laughs> we should just do a lovely thing about chairs. And then they just say buzzwords. They're like, skin is in, um, <laughs> hair. Like when they're trying to brainstorm. And it's just, it's, it's taking the piss out of something that actually a, a lot of work does go into this. Like I watched that documentary about Vogue. Absolutely Fashion Inside British Vogue. It was on BBC. Yeah, I mean, it's even called Absolutely Fashion. It's like mm. Absolutely Fabulous. But it, what it kind of showed is the, the opposite of AbFab in that there were people who were so busy, like they were genuinely, and a lot of work does go into putting fashion magazines together. It isn't just going, well, skin is in and hair is quite yeah. nice and let's do a feature maybe about some chairs. And I think it, it, that's why AbFab is so funny because you sort of, everybody assumes that that's what the world is going to be like. And when you watch something like that Vogue documentary, you're like, oh no, people 
do put a lot of effort and a lot of work into this. And they, these people are very qualified to talk about yeah. fashion and the history of fashion and stuff. Yeah. I think as well, what I really liked about it and what I was really surprised about by it was the relationship between the three lead characters, essentially. So Patsy, Safi and Eddie. And I think especially because I wonder if it's because we've kind of been brought up on this um, diet of Gilmore Girls and even though the relationship between Rory and Lorelai and Gilmore Girls isn't perfect, it's it's definitely positive. And and I know like Lorelai's relationship with Emily is probably I think is probably the most interesting part of Gilmore Girls. But like I think what's so interesting about those two characters is I don't think I've ever seen a, a very fraught relationship between a mother and daughter, but the conflict coming from like the best friend being jealous of the daughter and the daughter being jealous of the best friend and like that that relationship playing out between the three of them is like obviously like an endless source of comedy for the show like the scenes between Safi and Patsy are brilliant because they just go for each other like two dogs let off a leash but at the same time like Eddie's in the middle torn between does she want to be a mother to Safi or does she want to be a hedonistic best friend to her the love of her life essentially in Patsy and I think like I found that relationship so interesting and also because as much as a a lot of the action is set in the kitchen which is like a traditionally feminine domestic space and then you have this almost like this subverted relationship between these three women playing out and the kitchen itself then becomes subverted because it becomes a place of hedonism there's a champagne fridge and they don't actually cook in that kitchen they just sit at the table and smoke and chat and and then when you add in um june whitfield who plays eddie's mum and the fraught relationship that eddie has with her mum but patsy loves eddie's mum in the way that she didn't love her own mother it's just like this so many different relationships going on just between three women yeah absolutely and i think because absolutely fabulous was born out of a french and saunders sketch about Mm. about a mother behaving like a a grumpy teenager and a daughter having to deal with that behavior which is then obviously then that continues because safi basically has to look after her mum in a way that her mum never really looked after her Mm. And I think Safi's a constant disappointment to her mum because she's not kind of fun and she's a bit a bit nerdy and not really interested in fashion and she her mum kind of views her as a bit square. And I think that's quite an interesting dynamic because you watch Safi like try really hard to she's not always nice to her mum, but she no. always is watching out for her mum. Like she basically realizes that without her, her mum will just like probably fall in a ditch and die or whatever like she but also like eddie pays for everything (laughs) so like the only reason that she there's a whole scene about or an episode about um safi going to university and eddie's like well i'm paying for it so (laughs) and i think there's like a a codependency between all of them on like eddie's money and the house so there is this kind of mothering thing that's going on financially which Safi, you know, lives at home her entire life. She doesn't leave, really. And then in comparison to Safi, who's there, like Amelia said, to take care of Eddie, but also is financially dependent on her, there's also the off-screen perfect son, who, like, in the great tradition of, like, Maris in Frasier, is never seen apart from once. But I loved that there was this, like, perfect son, the male who we never, ever see, compared to the reality of the daughter who's there every single day. The series ended some time ago, but there was a film in 2016 which had mixed reviews, I think it's fair to say. Um, Mm. I watched the film after I'd finished the series. 
I think the film is interesting because it actually wasn't as bad as I was expecting it to be. I think that the jokes that work in it are still the jokes that was in the Abfab originally. So the setup is Eddie wants Kate Moss to join her agency and so she can represent her. And she accidentally thinks she has killed Kate Moss, so has to go on the run with Patsy. And I think what I loved about it was, I think when we're talking about Eddie and Patsy, like they are they are funny because even in the world of abfab they're out of step with the fashion world like they're always trying to keep up with it and they're always trying to be cool and trying to be on trend or trying to be ahead of trends or trying to like fit their lives into the trends which exist when really the moments where they're at their best not in terms of comedy because the comedy is is good across both of those aspects but like the moments where they the characters are the most comfortable where they're like in the kitchen or in Eddie's kitchen or taking drugs in Eddie's toilet and just being silly together rather than trying to keep up with everything that's going on in fashion and I think that the film explores that really well in the setup of the Kate Moss thing because they're still trying to keep up they're still trying to get her they're still trying to be part of the in crowd and it doesn't work and they have to go on the run but the rest of the film for me didn't work as well as the series. No I agree I didn't really like the film that much I think it was a bit um just wasn't very good <laughs> if I'm going to be blunt about it, it just wasn't very good but it did give us that iconic picture of Kate Moss in that like mermaid green dress yeah. dragging herself out of the Thames with a cigarette and she got a glass of champagne yes she has Possibly. um when everyone thinks she's dead and it gets used all the time on twitter you see it turn up and i think you, everyone forgets that that's where it's actually from like that's what it, but it is such a good picture but yeah the rest of the film i sort of found I, it was quite disappointing and i think it had a kind of odd it itself felt behind like yeah. the kind of cameos that they had like kate moss is still obviously huge but in 2016 she probably wouldn't be considered like the top, top most famous person to go for. Like, especially now in the the, the new era of modeling, like the Jenners are a thing and like the Hadids are a thing. Like you would think that maybe they would try and go, I know it's British so they probably wouldn't go for something mm. like that. But there's just a lot of the cameos with say Emma Bunton, who is lovely, but it's not the nineties anymore. And maybe that's why they did it. Cause they were kind of, I think, I think so at the time when it was, when it was huge and I'm still famous now, but like having a Spice Girl in your film 25 years ago would have been huge. Having one now is not quite as huge. I think as well, the Emma Bunton thing, it's because Emma Bunton played a role in a later series where they were trying to get mm -hmm. her. So her and Twiggy become the kind of the thing they're always after. And that in itself is funny that they're after Twiggy yeah. and it's the 90s and they're after Emma Bunton and it's the late 2000s. Yeah. <laughs> Minji Kim was the first and only winner of Netflix's fashion reality competition, Next in Fashion, which was presented by Alexa Chung and Queer Eyes Tan France. The series is set up like Project Runway. Each episode, there are different challenges which the aspiring designers have to succeed in to go through to the next episode. From the beginning, Minju Kim from South Korea and her friend Angel Chen from China were our favourites. Minju's clothes are oversized, pastel-coloured, painterly daydreams, which we both coveted while watching the series. Throughout every challenge, from military-themed to active wear, to underwear to rock and roll, Minju Kim stayed true to her own aesthetic, twisting each challenge to be oversized, girlish and fun. And ultimately, that's why we wanted her to win. She had an aesthetic vision, and we loved that vision. 
We did love that vision. I wanted every single one of the clothes that she designed for the last runway show. I was so tempted when they launched her Net-A-Porter capsule. That was the prize that you got yes. wardrobe on yeah. that I was like, shall I? And then I thought, no, <laughs> you don't have enough money for this. <laughs> like, was, don't do it. But I kept was, looking to see if they went in the sale. I was like, maybe. There was one dress in particular, which was like, I can't even describe it. I think it was like a sailor design, like quite short uh, pink pattern dress, which I was just like, mm. oh my God, that that's perfect. Yes, I'll wear that. And we both watched it. Did you watch it in lockdown? I watched it in lockdown. No, I watched it when it first came out, which was basically lockdown because the weather was so awful mm. in January that I was like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just going to watch it. And it was one of those things where I thought, oh, well, this show looks interesting. I'll just pop one episode one. And then two days later, I was like, oh, God, I haven't moved from the sofa. Yeah. <laughs> I've I- watched fashion. I watched it in lockdown and like it, I watched it on ev- all my lunch breaks. So like every lunch break and then after work, I'd be like, I just have to know what happens next. Like, and I love the kind of coming together of Minju Kim's oversized clothes winning in lockdown when everybody wanted like oversized girly clothes to wear at home rather than just yeah. like tight also, skirts going to the office. Her, weather, uh, her wedding dress that she made for her final run sh- runway oh show cry I was like oh my god it's like the most beautiful thing I've ever seen and the fact that it kind of had like two elements and that you could pull a part mm. of it and it sort of cascaded and I was like oh my god I want to get married in a Minju Kim dress like, oh my god yeah and like I oh, cried at her final runway show I like Daniel Fletcher who she was up against is a British designer who whose kind of strength is menswear and he did an equally as beautiful collection at the end but I think I think the thing I loved about Minju was I really appreciated somebody who went into the competition and like we said didn't compromise on her aesthetic and didn't compromise on a vision so she did that one of the challenges was underwear so a lot of the contestants went in and did very sexy leather lots of like um what are they called like suspenders and things like that and Minju Kim and Angel did these really beautiful really delicate lace designs and I was like it felt for me that she designed for herself and so sexy could mean whatever she wanted it to mean to her and that was the moment where I was like I love you and I would wear whatever you design they were um that underwear challenge was really interesting because that also sort of split the judges slightly Mm -hmm. in that Adriana Lima, who's a Victoria's Secret angel, was like, it's really pretty, but it is too fussy in parts. Yeah. It's just too much stuff. And it almost feels like actual, like it's clothing rather than an underwear that you could practically wear underneath whatever outfit you're wearing. And also, I mean, they suffered because it didn't really fit their models very well. Yeah. So it, it didn't look right. It didn't sit right. It didn't, because the, both Angel and Minju had never had any experience making lingerie before and several of the other teams had had either a swimwear background or a lingerie background so they knew what they were doing and how to make it look sexy and how to make it fit well but I think yeah that underwear challenge is the one and even at the beginning they both sort of were nervous and Mm. they were both um unsure of what they were going to do and it did feel even though the end result was really pretty it felt like in all the other challenges, you always felt like they had an idea at the beginning and they knew what they were doing and then they would keep, they would follow it through. Whereas with that underwear one, it felt like they didn't, because they did, weren't confident and they didn't really know what they were doing, they were just sort of throwing anything at it and seeing what stuck. And in the end, 
I think that's what was their downfall. And then why, because they went into the bottom two on that underwear yeah, challenge, they didn't did. they? Yeah, yeah, I they think did. why they ended up there is because it didn't feel like the rest of their clothes. It didn't feel that they had finished the thought, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. They just panicked towards the end and chucked everything at it. And then it didn't work for the brief that they'd been given. So I think that one, wasn't it, when they based it on a swan? Yes, I yeah. think so. Yeah, I think so. And then they kind of were going for like baby doll dresses plus other things. Mm. And it was just a lot of stuff. But I think going back to Minju and Daniel, Minju and Daniel were the two that right from the beginning, like episode one, I was like, these guys are going to be in the final Mm. because they were both very skillful in different ways. Like Daniel was, his whole aesthetic was British tailoring. I think he'd worked for Burberry and his whole thing along with his partner Carly was clean lines and instantly you would look at it and think a British person designed that it's like a lot of heritage and so his final collection was always about like was kind of the 1920s bright young things bright head revisited type aesthetic Mm. and he was very skillful at that whereas Minju was yeah dreamy pastel pinks all of that kind of thing and she was also very skillful like they had their the, the wedding dress that she produced is and given that she did it in what 15 hours and oh, yeah, insane another collection is insane the amount of work and the amount of actual skill that went into producing something like that is insane but from the beginning those two which were the who were the finalists in the end were the kind of shining stars of the whole series and then they ended up having a really cute relationship mm. they became like best like desk buddies um, and at the end as well, they were helping each other out with their final. Yeah, that was um, lovely. It was the same kind of, because at the beginning it was ultra, ultra competitive, obviously, because it's a huge prize that they were all competing for. But to, when it was just Minju and Daniel left, they would help each other out. And it had the same kind of vibe that Bake Off has when something mm-hmm. goes a bit wrong. And then the others are like, we'll come and help you. But in Bake Off, there's no like actual monetary value prize whereas this is like a whole capsule collection on net porte and you would think that the competitive switch would just go um but it wasn't they were yeah they were so cute and they were like minju was obsessed with daniel because they could just kept saying how handsome he was yeah i loved that moment in the final where it, it it was almost like they valued each other as well as peers and as colleagues so she would go to him and say what do you think of this and he would be like don't do it and he wasn't yeah. doing it in a sense of if I tell her not to do it like I'll win it was more like no you can do better than this and like yeah. it doesn't suit you and and she would do the same for him like that and it felt so like they were both pushing each other and they could trust each other and it just yeah the vibe in the final felt so much it felt so much na- more natural as well because I think from the beginning I think the thing I ident- identified with Minju so so early on despite loving like in, in addition to loving her clothes was that she was quite like anxious and quite like reserved and held back and she did the big thing was that she didn't have enough confidence and like and it felt like she just valued working together rather than being competitive and so when that emerged in the final it felt like a victory for the way that she did things rather and the way that Daniel did things rather than because you're right at the beginning it was hyper competitive and everyone was kind of big up themselves and say you know I've designed for this person or I've done this or this and actually Minju and Angel were kind of removed from that and were just getting on with their work and then nice collegiate feeling emerged as the series went on. Yeah and Minju had kind of they, they went into her family life a little bit 
and like her sister is her business partner and her mm. sister was quite harsh on her a mm. lot of the time and then they had this really emotional bit at the end when her sister had like watched it and she's like oh my god I didn't realize I was being so harsh I thought I was trying to push you I didn't realize it was making yeah. you feel like this and I'm not going to do that anymore because it's obviously really upsetting you yeah. and I thought I was just trying to make you more confident and I thought I was trying to push you in the right direction, but actually I've been making things so much worse. Um, and that was really emotional. And like Minju and Angel were a really sweet team. They were friends and they'd met in, um, they'd met in London at a fashion scouting thing and then they became a team. Um, and Angel really looked up to Minju, which I thought was interesting because Minju didn't have so much confidence in herself. But Angel always said that she's my big sister. I can't do it. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't do anything without her. And I wouldn't be where I am now without her. And mm. even like Angel's really capable as well. Like she trained at Central St. Martin. She's, her own clothes were amazing. Yeah. But also you watched Minju kind of change a lot when you took Angel away in the final. To begin with, I think she was really worried about not having her there. Like I think it seemed to stress her out quite a lot to not have Angel, not to lean on exactly, but to advise and to sort mm. of, because they were so clearly a collaborative team. And then when Angel was taken out of the equation, it was quite, she, yeah, she be sort of behaved differently in the competition. Yeah, she did. It was almost like watching somebody flower, like, mm. and not because they, they didn't have the ability to do that in a pair, but because they were forced to. And yeah, it just felt like she stood on her own two feet and could do it and and started to believe that she could do it on her own and she she became quite quietly confident I felt as the series went on and that was just a lovely thing to watch especially in much more in the challenges that were in her wheelhouse like the yeah. challenges like active wear I that was my least favorite episode because active wear is so boring as a fashion it's like it's lycra it's blue nobody really like it's not interesting no <laughs> And, uh, and like the rock and roll thing, which is so far away from what Angela Minji's aesthetic was, mm. um, that, that even then they were successful, like they did well. The only one where they weren't successful really was the lingerie one. They, were, they had their, like the activewear one. Can't, I'm trying to remember what they did for that. Did they do the coat for that? Like the, the see-through coat? Oh yeah, they did. It was really cool. <laughs> Wasn't it yellow? Yeah, it was like bright yeah, it was acid yellow. yellow. <laughs> it was really cool. Um, and that was what was so interesting about both of them as a pair and Minju on her own is that they took these, yeah, they took something like activewear and you just think snore mm. and made it into something really beautiful and interesting to look at. And mm. also the whole thing about Next in Fashion that just blew my mind is that they would have eight hours to yeah. make these things like 10 hours. And you're like, this is so mad. In what world would a designer ever get asked to make something from scratch in and have it so that it doesn't break the second that anybody breathes mm. in eight hours. It's bananas. Like It's so impressive. It was. Another thing that I kind of loved about Next in Fashion and Minju was the effect that Minju seemed to have on Alexa Chung. Like, I think, because we've grown up with Alexa Chung and I personally like have read everything I think she's ever written and like watched everything she's been in and all that kind of stuff. And like loved her and loved like what she stands for and in terms of clothes like you know wear dungarees and don't wear 
form-fitting clothes and you you can be sexy by wearing brogues and <laughs> like it, I completely buy into the whole Alexa Chung thing and and dress like that anyway and to watch somebody who for the last couple of years has kind of been a bit reserved and um cold and cool because she can be like quite uh, arch and not very warm sometimes to watch all that completely fall away and watch her be really really passionate about Minju Kim and her work and like to watch all that just disappear as soon as she meets a designer who want who's designing clothes which kind of align with her own aesthetic was just such a wonderful thing to watch as well yeah absolutely and I think you could always tell that like Minji was secretly Alexa's favourite. Yeah, I de- yeah, I completely agree. Also, super obsessed with her. Like, they yeah. were, you could always tell that they were slightly favourites. Like, when something went wrong, they were really disappointed that mm-hmm. it hadn't worked for them. They had a lot of belief in those two as a pair, mm-hmm. and then Minji on her own, um, in a way that perhaps some of the other teams were. Like Daniel and Carly, for example, they always like they. But Daniel and Carly's clothes were like just beautiful every single time. They how they produced actual tailoring in that like crisp Burberry style British heritage tailoring mm. in such a short time it just blows my mind um, yeah, Carly did this really beautiful um silk either dress or skirt and it had this paint effect on it like really beautiful delicate watercolor paint and I remember the judges just being really like dismissive of it and I was like mm. I think that's so beautiful and, and they they criticized it for being like something you'd wear today not something you'd wear tomorrow because that was a big thing about next in fashion was it's who's the next big thing not who's the big yeah. thing now um which is kind of and I can see what they mean with Minju being taking a style and making it her own for the future but with Carly's especially that watercolor thing I was like oh no I love that and I and yeah fine you've kind of sort of seen it but like not I think they were slightly unfair on Carly sometimes yeah also Minju and Angel made that they made a beautiful fabric as well in a similar kind of watercolory mm. I think it's no it wasn't in the first episode because the first episode is like one of the nicest dresses I've ever seen yeah I loved it, it. One block colour fuchsia pink with like a crossover and then a huge cape that it was for a red carpet challenge. And you're just like, yes, oh my God, yes. I 100% can see that on somebody on Oscars night. Like Mm. uh, there's no questions asked about whether or not that is a red carpet dress. It totally is. But a very specific person. Like this is what I loved about it was that like, you can imagine it on Michelle Williams. It's that kind of niche indie actress who isn't going for traditional sexy is going for comfort, but also, yeah. and not comfort in a way of like sweatpants and a jumper. I mean, like actually being able to walk in a dress. Yeah. And I think it's a very, um, it's a very Florence Pugh dress, that one, I think, based on what Florence Pugh wore last award season mm. slash Little Women promotional stuff. I 100% can see her in something like that. It's that, and that's what was made it such a good red carpet dress as well. It's like, it's not for, and not, not that there's nothing like there's absolutely nothing wrong with wanting to dress Meryl Streep like icon like all like iconic people, but if it's a show about being the next thing in fashion, yeah. you want to be dressing the next thing in acting or the next thing in music or whatever, because that's what that the ethos of that show was about. It's like mm. what's what's new, what's new, what's new, which. Yeah. I think it worked that that's why that dress just works so well. And I still think about it. And also that color, it was all the other designers were kind of going for these big, fussy, bold, not fussy because that's unfair, but like big, splashy, 
patterns and they were like Mingju and Angel were just like no we're keeping it to one color and we want the dress design to do the talking not the fabric yeah yeah actually uh, did you see the picture of um Billy Piper and Lucy Preble on the red carpet for I Hate Susie Lucy Preble was wearing like a really oversized like beautiful dress and it did remind me of like a Minju Kim dress and it's like this foil um material you know like a metallic-y oh yeah it's purple it's a really beautiful Mm -hmm. dress and I thought yeah like that's the people that Minju Kim should be dressing like cool girls who like make interesting art yeah oh yeah is it this kind of like blue one yeah 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 it looks like it could be vampire's wife it's cool that's really cool it's such a beautiful dress yeah and it's sad that there's not going to be a second season because i absolutely loved it i'm so excited i want to go and play in the giant cupboard full of oh my god nice like oh my god they're like do you want sequins sure we've got 700 different types of sequin i love it however there is still alexa chung's youtube channel which is excellent so i'd recommend that if you want an alexa chung fix I would watch, it's interesting you talking about the being comfortable, because if you watch the episode with Josephine Delabaum, who wears like the most outrageous French stuff, <laughs> these crazy like lacy underwear, and Alexis is like, yeah, I bought a five pack. Yeah, us. I love that episode. <laughs> <laughs> and like, Josephine Delabaum's like, are you 12? What? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Never Marry a Mitford. Just a reminder to leave us a review and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify and anywhere else where you get your podcasts. Bye! Bye!